Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. I've got one of my really good friends, Mr. Jim Mesh, from the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. The premier conservation scholarship in the outdoors is the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. They just gave a $25,000 scholarship to a young man studying conservation in college. This is one of my favorite nonprofits that I support. Me and Jim talk all about continuing the legacy, carrying on the legacy, imparting um, a love for hunting on the next generation. We talk about some of our favorite stories, our upcoming hunts, our past hunts. We talk about Jim getting trapped on the side of a snowy mountain on a mountain lion hunt. It's a phenomenal episode, guys. I hope you'll stay right here tuned in and enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, there's one fabric that if you're not wearing, you absolutely should be. It's a magic fabric. It changes everything about the way you layer, everything about the way you dress, everything about the way you hunt, and that is merino wool. I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the benefits of merino wool, and I'm going to miss some for sure. But guys, whether it's summer or whether it's winter, uh, this is going to keep you cool in the in the summer. It's moisture wicking. It's going to pull the moisture away from your body, but it's also going to hold your heat in the winter. It is antimicrobial. It doesn't smell. It doesn't hold scent like other fabrics does. So if you're out on a five-day hunt, you don't have access to a washer, this is not going to hold your scent. It's not going to to get stinky and nasty. Um, it's also uh, quick drying. Um, you can hang this up in your tent. You can hang it up uh, on a clothesline. It's going to dry really quick. But the coolest part about Merino, in my opinion, is that when it gets wet, it still maintains it still maintains its warmth properties. So if there's a light rain or a snow and this gets wet, it's still going to keep me warm. There's no itch. There's it's it's non-allergenic. It's an amazing, an amazing fabric. Minus thirty three. I stumbled upon minus 33 by accident i was on backcountry.com and they were having a blowout sale i needed some new merino for a hunt that was coming up and so i i dove in i bought it and when i got it it was the softest best merino i have ever felt in my entire life i've not worn anything but minus 33 socks for everyday life whether i'm hunting hiking or just you know out for the day i haven't worn anything but minus 33 socks in over a year and a half Every single day I'm wearing their underwear. Every single time I'm out hunting, whether it's 100 or whether it's 5, I'm wearing some sort of beanie to cover up my chrome dome and to keep that covered up and warm uh, or cool Whether if it's in the summer. But also, um, that UV protectant. I like to wear it in the summer. Um, guys, minus 33 does Merino, in my opinion, better than anybody else does it. 
Go check out Minus 33 for all your Merino wool. And if you haven't ever tried Merino, guys, you are missing out. It will change the way you layer. It will change the way you hunt. Go check out Merino wool and go check out Minus 33. All right, Jim. So let's just jump right into this and give me a background on the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. All right. Well, Dylan, as you know, John was my youngest brother, a Kansas City firefighter who was killed in the line of duty on October 12th, 2015. Uh, and in John's passing, uh, the driver from Pumper 10, which was John's driver, approached me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing some kind of uh, scholarship or something to keep John's memory and legacy alive? So I said, absolutely. So we established the John V. Mass Memorial Scholarship, which is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to getting kids and young adults into the outdoors uh, coming from a outdoor, I don't want to say crazy family, but I mean, we would have been in the outdoors. I have seven siblings and we've been in the outdoors since I can remember. So you know, being an yeah. outdoor-based family, so to speak, uh, outdoor-based charity was a natural fit. Yeah. Now, I have oftentimes said, and if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me talk about the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship, and I've oftentimes said that I am picky about the nonprofits that I support, mainly because, you know, so many of these nonprofits, they're getting all this money, but where does the money go? You know, you never see you never see the money used. You never see the money. And you're like, well, why am I supporting this this quote unquote conservation organization when I don't even know what they're doing, why they're doing it or how they're doing it? Well, let me just tell you this, guys. The John V. Mess Memorial Scholarship put up a twenty five thousand dollar scholarship for one student who is studying conservation this year. We awarded it at the Pope and Young Convention. And it was then I just looked around and I thought to myself, this is why I support the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship, because it's not I mean, I know where the money's going. I know it's going to a good cause. I know they're actually using the money for what they say they're using the money for. Um, and so, man. I can truly say this. I've known you long enough to say this. I did not have the pleasure of knowing your brother, but I've known you well enough to, to, to say this, that your brother would be proud of what you're doing in his name. I can truly say that. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, we as an organization try to be as transparent as we can because like you, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately my nonprofit, had, you know, is a result of a tragedy, but getting involved in, in this, you know, community, so to speak, I have had the unfortunate pleasure of dealing with some people that you're like, Okay, you know what you're doing is not what you say you're doing. You know, yeah, uh, we've made we've made donations to a couple organizations and found out later that the the money didn't go to you know taking a kid to a camp or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, we try to do everything the right way. And, and like I said, our we're an open book. If anybody asks, hey, you know, it's just me and Serna that are on the board of this thing. And 100% of all proceeds we make goes back into this uh, scholarship. Well, and, you know, I, somebody asked me about the scholarship fund. And I just, you know, I said, listen, dude, this would be a different story if they were giving out a $1,000 scholarship every year. 
You know, if they were giving a kid 500 bucks to continue their, their studies in conservation, then we'd be looking at this a lot different. But there was a $25,000 check awarded. People, if you've been to college, you understand that can literally change some kid's future. That can change some kid's life by helping them get through college. That's a substantial scholarship. And so, you know, this isn't something to where they're taking all this money in and giving $1,000 to a student every year because they truly want to see uh, the legacy continue. They truly want to to help a student study conservation and go into the conservation field. Um, now, why why was it why was it a, a fund started for children or for kids? You know, youth. You guys do a, a shoot for youth. You do, you know, it's centered around youth and it's centered around getting kids involved in archery and hunting and shooting skeet. You know, and then you offer the scholarship. So, why? What was the what was the drive in making your nonprofit about youth? Uh, because, like I said, you know, uh, growing up, my parents got us to the outdoors at a young age, and say, uh, you know, we we are actually the sponsor for the university hunting program at Mizzou and uh, a couple other uh, colleges with uh, Delta Waterfowl. But say you're a college age uh, student. Okay, and you don't go into the outdoors. I mean, you've never been in the outdoors. You don't hunt. You don't fish. You don't care anything about it. You're not going to get your kids into the outdoors. I mean, that's just you're going to get them to what you know. So we want to get the kids into the outdoors to keep the outdoor lifestyle, you know, going. I mean, if you didn't get if you don't get the future involved, there'll be no future. You know, just like you. You know, you, you have your kids out there shooting bows and arrows all, you know, shooting archery all the time. Uh, I have four daughters. My brother, John, has four daughters. And uh, and for lack of a better word, uh, they're girly girls. And if you look at my daughters, you're like, man, you know, I don't know how Jim, but he has some beautiful daughters. But you take them out in the <laughs> outdoors, and, they're, they, and they are some fish catching, deer shooting, turkey hunting. I mean, and that's with all eight of them. And that's just... They all want yeah. to be in the outdoors. That's awesome. That's what they've known since they were little, just like me and my brothers and sisters. You know, growing up, I can remember yeah, for sure. you know, camping with my mom and my sisters and, and going duck hunting with my oldest sister. You know, she had a, a place. Uh, my two other sisters now both live out of the city. They both live on farms. You know, they both live on land. They both deer hunt and turkey hunt and have ponds on their property. And it's just what we were raised doing. So we have to pass along to keep our heritage alive. So to speak. Yeah. Well, and you know, people don't quite get, I don't want to say people don't get it, but I think sometimes people forget or they neglect the importance of getting children involved in hunting, the importance of getting children involved in the outdoors, because if there's nobody to pass the mantle to, it dies off. You know, if there's nobody to say who's going to keep buying tags, if there's nobody to say who's going to continue supporting conservation efforts, if there's nobody to, you know, pass on that torch of of carrying on the legacy of hunting, then it dies out because we're already the we're already the minority. And so I don't want my kids to become even even more of a minority. 
I don't want it to become even more unnatural for my kids to hunt and and kill their own food and and process their own meat. I don't want it to become more unnatural. I want it to become more natural. And and we as hunters, man, we have we have largely forgotten the importance of getting kids involved in hunting. Absolutely. It's, and like I said, it's a, it's an uphill battle now. You know, I mean, so many kids would rather be sitting inside on a, you know, some video game or uh, whatever the case may be. And if we don't, you know, pass it along, it will die down. And as you know, we're in a, in a fight for our lives now from the anti-hunters, you know, which they don't yeah. understand that, you know, hunters and conservationists are the ones who keep the deer population and the turkey population and and with all of the tags and the money that we, you know, uh, the money we spend on tags and, and duck stamps and fishing licenses and everything, that's what, you know, funds everything to keep the, the herds manageable and the, the fish at a, you know, a, you know, the population and stuff like that. There is people that actually do research and set limits so it keeps a healthy herd and a healthy flock or whatever the case may be. And the people that do the research are only funded by us as hunters. So not, I shouldn't say only, um, but the Pittman Robertson act, the Pittman Robertson act largely funds those researches. And if people aren't buying tags, we don't have the money to do the research. And so, if we as a if we as a hunting community die out, then the conservation efforts that go along with what we as a hunting community do die out. And then the only thing left to push is the Humane Society agenda, and that would be horrendous. Um, so, man, again, I just want to say kudos to you um, for for trying to continue the legacy in a way that your brother would be proud. And I do believe that he would be proud of it. So, um, man, I am, I'm excited about your, your scholarship fund. I'm excited about your conservation efforts and what you do. I'm excited about how you do it. Um, you guys have a shoot coming up. Well, I shouldn't say coming up. It's in September. Um, but it's in Kansas city. I am going to be there. Um, I encourage all of you to come out. They're going to have some incredible raffles, some giveaways, some, auction items it's going to be a fun time we're going to shoot we're going to hang out we're going to i'm sure there'll be food if i know jim we're probably going to eat um so (laughs) he said it wouldn't be a shoot if we didn't eat that's what i'm talking about man so so tell me about the day what all what all can they expect well we have we're setting up now as you know we just did a uh a bike ride this past weekend which uh yeah. We have a motorcycle motor. My brother John wasn't a, a Harley guy, but uh, we have a motorcycle club here in Kansas City that is made up of uh, first responders and veterans. Uh, City Kings Motorcycle Club, and they approached me a couple of years ago and said, "Hey, let's do a bike ride." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "Yeah, that's you know, that's not a, you know the fit." And then once I started hearing about you know what they who they were and this that, and the other, I mean it, it couldn't be. It's they're amazing. This year they actually had their uh, whole club uh, national meeting here. So they had guys from California, Nevada, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, uh, Illinois. I mean, just ton of guys show up, and they do it the right way. You know, like I said, they're law That's enforcement, cool. yeah. firefighters, veterans. So 
So we just got that, you know, just got that behind us. So now the Sporting Clay Shoot is our flagship event. It will be Saturday, September 23rd at Powder Creek Shooting Park in Lenexa, Kansas. Uh, you can, um, we got the, well, you're actually working on getting the registration set up now. So you'll be able to register online here pretty quick. Uh, your event right. Um, if not, register the day of. You get there at nine o'clock in the morning, uh, have donuts and coffee, blah, blah, blah. We'll have all the uh, raffle items and uh, auction items laid out. So you'll see, you know, what will be available that day to uh, to bid on or to, you know, purchase, purchase raffle tickets for. Um, in that last couple hours, you know, for you know, we'll have, you know, 200, 300, uh, you know, shooters in attendance or whatnot. Uh, it's five man teams. Uh, and we usually have anywhere between, I'd say, 35 and 50 teams. It just, you know, depends on the year. Uh, so once we get every, everybody registered, they'll have a safety briefing and a prayer. And uh, we'll provide you with a, a sack lunch uh, to go out on the course while you're shooting. You'll have a, a, a Shemekas Italian sausage sandwich or a hot dog and a bag of chips. And uh we have a couple golf carts driving the course the whole time. There's 25 stations. So we'll have golf carts uh, driving the course the whole time with uh, uh, water and Gatorade and, and soda and stuff like that and, uh, while you're shooting. So they'll always be, uh, you know, hydrated. And then uh, we provide the shells, the eye and ear protections, T-shirts, and an actual bag to keep all your stuff in. Um, you know, swag bag. So we send you out on the course and you shoot your hundred rounds. And then when everybody comes back, we'll give people a chance to either uh, purchase more raffle tickets and put them in items they're interested in or the auction items and this, that, and the other. And then once we close the raffle down, uh, we'll go down to the, the big tent and then we have a dinner, which is catered in by Hogjaw Barbecue and uh, uh, County Beverage is one of our sponsors. So uh, Mike will have the adult refreshments come in at that time once all the guns are put away. And then we have our uh, silent and live auctions at, at that point where everybody's eating. What does the winning team get? They get a, it depends, we either give them all um, trophies or and or uh, Anthony's uh, restaurant here in Kansas City. It's one of the best Italian restaurants you can eat at. They they donate uh, five one hundred dollar gift cards. So each guy on the winning team, or each person, I should say, on the winning team, gets a hundred dollar gift card plus a, a trophy. And then what last is the, place now? Is, I, <laughs> that's what I was going to ask because that that would be more of my style is coming in last. So what does the last place team get? Because that. You know, I can realistically look at that. Well, if you to win that trophy, you're going to have to try to be horrible. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> last place team gets a trophy as well. And it's actually a horse's butt. <laughs> it's, nice. It's, yeah, it's and we've had a team. I'm not going to put them on the spot because I know who they are. But they've. All of them have got like three horses butt statues sitting on their mantles <laughs> over the last three years. <laughs> you heard it right here, folks. He said, you suck. He said, get better <laughs> because you suck. 
No, uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not a great shot, man. No shame in my game, dude. I'm not a great shot. I, uh, I actually had, <clears throat> I had a good friend of mine, Andrew McKean on, uh, who's the optics editor for outdoor life. And I was telling him about an eye dominance issue I have, and I'm actually left eye dominant, but I'm right-handed. And, uh, he said, I bet you're a piss poor shot with a shotgun. Aren't you? I said, I sure am. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Yep. I know so when we no first started my doing game, brother. Yep. When, well, you know what? In in the the last place team's defense now, uh, and I'm not bashing or whatever, but it's just the facts of the situation, they're all women. And none of these women had ever I think two of them had touched a gun and three of them had never touched a gun, let alone shot a gun. And now those wow. five women, we we have we have more than one team that's all women now. But when we have our registration, those five women are about the first five people to sign up. They say they look forward to shoot every year. So they went from never wanting to shoot a gun or touching a gun to now, I mean, calling me. That's you know, awesome. Like they'll call me two, day, two days after the event. Hey, what's the date for next year's shoot? You know? So That's awesome. It's I take it, that back. Yeah, I take that back. He doesn't say you suck. You're growing as as sportsmen. He, you, you don't suck. You're getting better. No, they stay. I, I thought this they was stay. a bunch of dudes <laughs> who just want to go out there and, and pilly fart around. So I take it back. You don't you don't suck, women. Jim yeah. did not say that. <laughs> hey, they're proud. They're proud of their trophy. No, yeah, I'm sure they are, like man. Said, man they're, they're a great group. We're lucky to have them come out. Yeah, and like I said, they've inspired well, guys, more, more women's teams yeah. to come out. Well, like I said, guys, I will be there. I'm excited about it. I'm going to put together a team. I'm going to have to find people that can shoot better than I can shoot. I'll tell you that. Um, but we're going to put together a team, and we'll be out there to shoot and have fun. And uh, I, I, guys, join us. Um, even if you've got to you know, drive a few hours, it will be worth it. You're supporting a phenomenal cause. You're supporting a phenomenal conservation effort that they do every single year. So, guys, come out. It's going to be a blast. Um, Jim, you uh, you recently shot your first bear, man. That was that was exciting. Yes, yes I did. And if I can, Dylan, before I jump into that, uh, when we first started this uh, deal, I had a guy uh, come up to me, and I said, hey, you got to come to the shoot. And he's like, no, because that's all you and your buddies do is, is hunt and shoot and this, that, and the other. And I told him, I says, man, I says, I don't shoot a gun. I said, I always bow hunt. And uh, I says, I have yeah. picked up a shotgun in, in 30 years. I said, but I told the guy, and he said it, you know, tongue in cheek, jokingly. And I says, but if you want, man, I'll buy you a trophy that says you won, that you were the best. Said, That'll make you come out. I said, it's <laughs> about charity. It's about, I said, you come out. I said, I, yeah. I can't promise you'll win. I said, I can't promise you'll hit a single clay pigeon. But I can promise you you'll have a great time. And he's like, you know what? Yeah. You're right. It's about, you know, your brother's memory. And, and, and the guy comes back every year now. So, yeah, if you're That's one of awesome. the guys that say, oh, I don't shoot, I guarantee you'll have a good time if you come out. You don't have to be a great shot to come out. So, now, why can't I do but, it with yeah, my bow? Hey, you're more than welcome to, buddy. Better have a bunch of flu flus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna lose either way, so I might as well do it in style, you know. Yeah, yeah. At least say hey, you do it with a gun, though. You ain't gotta go looking for no arrows. 
There you go. I yeah, it's probably true. You're getting free sales. Yeah, you get a free sale. It also might be with America. It might be a little sketchy to be out looking for arrows while the next team's wanting to shoot that station too. You know, I'll be the I'll be the guy that's out there saying, "Hold on, hold on, I'll be done in a minute." Yeah, you especially you with that red beard looking like a clay pigeon out there. Hey, come on now. No. Uh, yeah, man. Shot your first bear in Canada with your bow. Um, yep. I saw the footage. It was awesome. Perfect shot. Um, tell me, how long have you been... Was was this idea to go on a bear hunt? Was that like a spur of the moment, man, I want to go kill a bear? Or did you want to kill a bear for a long time? No, I actually never wanted to shoot one. Uh, and I think now you know, I know what's story. wrong with you. Yeah, uh, I my, knew you had a wire wife, Yeah, <laughs> well, I just, I just never did. You know, I've always wanted to shoot a mountain lion or a, a bull moose, or I, t- I wanted to shoot a grizzly. But I mean, you know as well as I do, I'm, I'm not Frank Nasca. I, I can't afford to do them kind of hunts. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, my brother John, uh, my wife had a fiftieth birthday party for me. Uh, Oh, eight years ago, coming up on eight years ago. And at that party, me and my brother, John, and my brother, Mike, and there's Serna and a couple other guys, we were up uh, in this room. We was at a barn grill. We was up in this room just talking, you know, watching a football game, talking. And uh, started talking about bucket list hunts. And, uh, you know, I said, yeah, I want to shoot a mountain lion. And my brother, John, want to do an elk and blah, blah, blah. So when the conversation ended, uh, my brother, John, said, yeah, man, we need to start doing these bucket list hunts, quit talking about them and start doing them before something happens and we're not able to do them. And he went to the fire station the next day and that's when he passed away. So that's one of the last comments he made to me. So, oh, wow. I've been, yeah, I mean, the very next day. So, um, wow. I was one, you know, last thing he, he's like, yeah, we need to do these hunts for something. Something happens. You never know. You're not able to do them. So the year after he passed, my brother, Mike, uh, went out and shot his first elk. Uh, and then as you know, a couple of years ago, I shot my mountain lion. It took me a couple of years to, you know, save up the money. And then yes, yeah. I'm like, you know what? All the stuff that I've ever, you know, and then my brother, Mike started after he shot his elk, he started bear hunting. And he's like, there, you, you'll love it, you'll love it, you'll love it. So I went up with him last year just to fish and film. If we try to film everything, that's even when my brother John was alive. Uh, me and Mike and my nephew Michael, his son, and my brother John, when we'd hunt, one of us would film and one of us would, you know, bow hunt. So uh, I went up to, to film last year, and I got to see my first bear in the wild. I was like, man, this is, this, you know, cool. the heart race a little bit yeah, this might be something I want to do. So my brother Mike's like, hey, you know, the, the place we go has a limited number of tags. And uh, so Mike's like, here, you can have my tag. So I got tagged this year and, and went up. And I was actually in the stand for two and a half hours. And this big old boar come in and 27 yards. He was down there eating popcorn like he's at the movie theater. And uh, <laughs> put it on him. Ran, ran about 25 yards heard the death moan and i called the you know the guide and i was like hey actually i take it back i uh i was videoing it when it first came in it came in from behind me and i was videoing it and i sent him the 
sent him the video. And I was like, hey, is this thing big enough to shoot? Because everybody goes, oh, yeah, when you see your first bear, it might be 10 pounds and you're going to think it's a monster. It can, and I knew it this can be hard, monster. yeah. Yeah, I'd seen one last year, and the guy goes, "What do you, you know?" The, uh, the guy goes, "What do you think?" I said, "Man, it doesn't look real big." He goes, "Yeah, most people would freak out." I said, "Yeah, I mean, it's decent." I said, "I probably wouldn't shoot it." He goes, "Okay." So then, when this one come in, it was you know almost as big as a barrel. So I actually, you know, like I said, I sent him the video, and then uh, the bear came in right when I sent him the video. And after the fact, I looked at the he texted me back and goes, "Quit moving and pick up your bow." <laughs> <laughs> so, so. But I got that text after the bear came in. And I actually drew back, and then I let down. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to shoot it. I'm going to wait for a bigger one, you know. And then I had, yeah. you know, I'm doing a lot of a lot of self filming now. So I had three cameras running, and the bear came in. Actually, one of the tactic cams. The bear came in right by the tactic cam. So when I get the video added together, you'll be able to see the bear or the bear. You'll walk by and you just see his head, you know, pop out from behind the camera, and then his whole body, and then have him walking away and I'm in the tree stand out in front of him and I got to think about you know what I got three cameras rolling let's go ahead and do it so I end up you know shooting him and it's like I said ran about 20 yards heard the death moan and you know that was a wrap spent the next six days That's fishing. awesome man yet you know you're one of those guys you're just about big enough to hop out of the tree and go bear hunting with a switch you know that's what everybody says but I'm like no shot <laughs> you know it, it, it really comes down to exactly what you just said people always ask me like well what's your deciding factor on if you're going to shoot a deer or not or a bear or you know whatever and a lot of that comes down to the experience you know i've passed bigger deer that just pop right up and you're like oh okay i could shoot him but then you have a deer come in who's maybe even smaller than that bigger deer but he puts on a show for you, you know, he fights a deer for 10 minutes and then comes in and, and busts up a tree. And then he, you know, he's out 14 yards in front of you snorting and grunting. And you're like, oh, yeah, dude, <laughs> you yep. have made this a hunt like you. You've made this special. It doesn't matter how big you are. Like, so there's just times where it's like, man, this is the perfect setting. I want to kill a deer or I want to kill this bear. Um, and yep. that for me. You know, I, but I'm also a lot different. I give my guides a hard time. I don't give them the easy time. Like, ask ask our boy Corey over at Liberty Ranch, dude. He puts me in this stand one day, and he says, all right, here's your shooter. This is the one I want you to shoot. I'm like, you got it, boss. And he said, now there's a giant in there, uh, a giant 10. And he's showing me all pictures. He's showing me all these angles. And I'm like, all right, don't shoot this one. You got it. Well, sure enough, that big old 10 comes in. And so I'm sending him, and he was there forever, dude. It was agonizing. And so I'm sending him pictures. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't think this is him, man. He's like, it's a hundred percent him. And I'd send him pictures and I'd say, no, I don't think this is him. I'm going to go ahead and shoot. And he texts back, no, that's him. And I just like wait for him to turn his head and I'd send him another picture. I'm like, but you see when he turns his head, it, it doesn't match that. And he's like, that's him. Don't shoot. And I'm like, are you sure though? And like for 20 minutes, I was just giving him a hard time that I was going to shoot this deer. And, and, uh, <laughs> he comes and picks me up that night. He's like, dude, you were going to give me a heart attack. He's like, I thought you were going to shoot a, you know, a three and a half, 160 inch 10. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I was just giving you a hard time. Yeah. So I, uh, we got a guy that donates a deer hunt to the, to the shoot every year that we auction off. And he invited me up last year 
uh, well, actually the year before last on Dole Patrol. So, uh, you know, I got there and I was the only one up there. It was real late in the season. The season was almost over. And uh, we got, he's like, hey, you want to see some pictures of the bucks? I'm like, no. I said, no. I said, no, I'm not going to shoot one. He goes, no, shoot. If you see a monster, come in and shoot it. I said, man, I'm not going to shoot your big deer. He goes, man, if you shoot a 200-inch deer up here, he said, that'll put me, you know, he's a free-range outfitter. He goes, that'll put me on the map. But he goes, don't let no 200-inch deer walk by. He says, but I got a few, you know, like you, you know, three-year-old deer that's 165 inches or whatever the case may be. So I said, okay. So bigger in Dallas. Now, is this, is, is this in Missouri? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's up by uh, uh, Cameron, Missouri. Uh, okay. Called Double Driven, uh, Double Driven uh, Outfitters. And uh, so first deer that pops out my first morning hunt is this three-year-old deer. So this deer, I mean, Dylan, he walks eight yards from me. And I look back, and there's two more bucks coming in. They're pretty decent deer, and they're right underneath me. So I'm filming and filming and filming. So they end up walking off. And a doe comes in, and I shoot a doe. So I videoed the arrow, you know, I mean, they were you know, 12 yards. So I zoomed in and videoed the bloody arrow and the Illuminati flashing. So I, I just seen the picture of the Illuminati flashing and the arrow. Was oh, you shoot one? Then I seen the video of the, the deer, <laughs> the big deer walking in. Oh, yeah, I shot this one. I said, it's pretty nice. He goes, Are you? He goes, no, man, no, don't tell me. This deer had like two... Two main beams, one went on the inside. I mean, good looking, real long route times. He goes, Are you kidding me, man? And I said, No, man, I thought that's one you decided to shoot. <laughs> and then I was yeah. going to keep him on the ropes. I was going to keep him on the ropes until he, he goes, All right, I'm on my way. And I texted him back. I said, Man, I'm teasing you. I didn't shoot that deer. I said, like, I don't want this guy wrecking on the way. Come and help me get this deal out. That's what I shot. I always tell. Now, when I'm back home in Arkansas hunting my dad's property, I'll give him a hard time. And and uh, like last year, I text him. I'm like, Dad, you said you wanted all the deer with white spots dead, right? And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> he said, what? Why did you shoot a deer with spots? And I'm like, I thought you said you wanted all your fawns dead. <laughs> he's like, are you an idiot? And I'm like, dude, I mean, come on, man. And uh, finally, he's like, yeah, I know you're joking, you dummy. But uh, no, I uh, I was out at Corey's place too, and this was another hunt, and I was in a different spot. He's like, so you've got you've got two regulars, one I want you to shoot, one I don't want you to shoot. And when you look at them antler wise, it's really hard to tell a difference. And I'm like, Corey, man, those are that that's going to be difficult in the moment to tell. And he's like, just you'll know. And I'm like, what do you mean I'll know? And he's like, you'll know. And I'm like, what do you like? And he's like, one is just an old tanker of a deer. I mean, he's just, he's a beast. And one is really young. And uh, and I'm like, okay. And so I'm out there, and sure enough, this boy comes in. I mean, looks like stinking. He's been on steroids for 40 years. I mean, just jacked out of his mind and just beat up, bruised up, broken tines everywhere. And I'm like, that's got to be the one. And so I shoot him, and I'm like, I'm sending Corey pictures. I'm like, this is him, right? And he's like, yeah, that's him. Good job. And uh, I'm like, deal. Well, then I'm sitting there and I see the other one come and I'm like, oh, that's that. De- you could definitely tell a difference. Um, and a lot smaller body, but a lot bigger antler wise. And I'm like, crap, Corey. So and then I'm sending pictures of that one. I'm like, you sh- this one's here now, too. I've got two tags, Corey. And he's like, no, dude. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, but 
this one looks a lot like that last one. And you wanted the last one dead. And he's like, yeah, but that one's two and a half. The other one's eight and a half. And I'm like, well, Corey, come on, man. So I like to give old Corey a hard time. Yeah, you think he'd catch I him. Very soon. Yeah. <laughs> I think he thinks I'm just wiry enough to do something stupid one time just to keep him on the ropes, you know? <laughs> no, I, uh, I also one time texted him a picture. I had a bunch of cattle work in. And so I texted him a picture of, I had a, a brown, a brown, uh, calf in front of me. I'm like, dude, this is the biggest dog I've ever seen. I think I'm going to go ahead and plug it. <laughs> he said, he said, you cannot shoot a cow. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I said, I texted back and said, I just wanted to test my new broadhead setup. Come on. <laughs> He's a fun guy though. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I need now, to get down there sometime. Yeah. It's it, dude. It's heaven on earth, man. It it is an outdoorsman's paradise, and they actually they just built a fifty acre pond, and uh, I got Ooh. to go in the very bottom of it when it was when it was just dug. We we're in the very bottom, and you're looking up. The thing's probably a hundred feet deep, and uh, wow. of course that takes you know three years to fill up. But uh, they're stocking it with all crazy fish. They're gonna have decks built all around it with pontoons you can just take out and fish. It is a outdoorsman's paradise. 7,000 acres of just Oklahoma monster deer. Um, wow. So, yeah, I, I tell everybody, if you're looking to book an Oklahoma hunt, Liberty Ranch is the place to do it. But uh, And Corey's just world-class, man. Corey's the best there is. So um, definitely look into it if, if you're looking to do oh, something Oh, yeah, I like met that. him but, a couple years ago. Um, I met him a couple years ago at the convention. Yeah. Nice guy. Guys, there's not many things that I'm going to tell you to stop and do right now. One of those things is to stop and go join Pope and Young right now. It's 45 bucks for the entire year to be a member of Pope and Young. And what that does for you is that helps to ensure your rights as a bow hunter. Pope and Young is constantly fighting for your rights as a bow hunter. They are the national bow hunting organization in North America. They exist to protect your rights as a bow hunter. They are all the time going before state legislators uh, to fight for your rights and to continue protecting your rights as a bow hunter. The record book exists in the first place because somewhere between us and the Indians, people had lost sight that bow hunting was a lethal way of harvesting big game. And so Glenn St. Charles and his group of cohorts, they started the record book so they could take it to different states and show that bow hunting is, in fact, a, a ethical way of harvesting big game. So guys... Don't get caught in, in in Pope and Young only being a record book. They are your voice for bow hunters, and there's power in numbers. So I would highly encourage you to join today because we need to stand together to protect our rights. Also, what you might not know is if you've bought a bear bow, you can go and register that bow, and you're actually going to get a free Pope and Young membership. Bear Archery is such a believer in the mission of Pope and Young and what they stand for and what they do to protect our rights that they are going to buy your first year's membership. So if you've bought a bow, go online and register that bow, and you're going to get a free year's membership to Pope and Young. But guys, I would encourage you, stop right here right now and go join Pope and Young because we have to protect our rights as bow hunters. Now, what's next on the on the bucket list? Got to mark off for the brother's memory. I am going to Manitoba in September uh, for a color phase bear. I'm gonna try to nice. shoot a cinnamon bear. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, nice. the guy I'm going with, the guy I'm going up with up there, uh, says he has a couple 400 pound bears wandering around. So 
hopefully I can get an arrow on one of them big boys. Dude, I stinking shot. Cinnamon was top of my list. I'm like, I want to shoot a cinnamon bear so bad. And when I went to Idaho this last year, sure enough, night two, here comes a cinnamon. And I'm like, oh, here it is, dude. He had a blonde stripe all the way down his back, too. I mean, just really cool bear. And uh, and he was one of those bears that just put on a show. Put on a show, made me work for it. I mean, he climbed a tree, and he was just having a good time, scratched his back on a tree, come in, went around me twice. And, I mean, just uh, uh, put on the show. And I'm like, this is it, dude. It's about to happen. And I shot him, and I never found him. And I said, screw wow. this recurve. No, I did. I said, I said, why did I try to do it with a recurve? But looking back, like I, I still, I'm really glad I did it with a recurve um, because it would have oh, been, yeah. I mean, it would have been cool to do it with a compound, but to have that bear and to have done it with a recurve, I mean, that would have been a dream. But um, so oh, yeah. cinnamon's still at the top of my list. Yep. That's what I, I told Brandon, the guy's name I'm going with. I said, yeah, so I'm, my hope is to shoot a color phase. I said, but don't let a 450-pound black bear walk in. That's <laughs> the reason trouble. Yeah. I said, I want to shoot a color phase. Yeah. But the first monster bear that walks in is getting it. Yeah. I, um, you know, I'm not picky normally when it comes to colors, but year before I had shot a good black, and so I'm like, this year I want to shoot a brown or cinnamon or uh, blonde, and uh, sure enough, yep. the first bear comes in was black, but he wasn't big enough to really tempt me, so I'm just like, all right, you you know, I'll watch you and have fun. But then night two, that brown came in, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is it, and uh, we never found him. So, Wow, that stinks. You're going to spend like 74 days in Africa, something like yep. that. Yeah, me and mama. <laughs> hey, you might be going Don't with sound me. So hey, I'm in, dude. I am in. <laughs> Don't sound so enthused. Yep, You're like, yeah. Oh, uh, I, How- you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked. But if I get excited right now about it, that year wait is even longer. Yeah. Yes. How'd you end up? How'd you end up? How'd you? How'd you end up with 20 days of hunting in Africa? <laughs> well, I have a, I had a 10 day hunt planned with a buddy of mine from the safari club. And, uh, then we was at the convention and I might've been sitting with you, I believe, and had a few soda pops and I'm talking to you and really wasn't paying attention. I, and I had met a couple guys during the convention that were, uh, outfitters and they had a you know they was lost and i really wasn't paying attention when it was going and i honestly thought it was theirs so i was like oh you know what i'm gonna bid this thing just to help them bid it up a little bit and i was like oh there's no way i'm gonna get it so uh you know i they went up for bed and i raised my hand and kept talking to you and blah 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 next thing i know laura's tapping me on the shoulder she's like hey you're getting ready to get this hunt. I'm like, no, somebody's going to fit it. <laughs> uh, lo and behold, Jason goes, congratulations, Jim Miss. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so luckily, the days worked out that I can book this hunt right behind the other hunt. So I will be doing So two. now you get to go to Africa for 47 days and kill 97 animals. Yep. yep. 20 straight days and I think 15 animals. 
Dude, your taxidermy you know, bill is going to be outrageous. Yeah, I know. That's that's the bad part. I've, and my uh, my wife, she's like the lion. She doesn't want. I'm doing the lion, the full body mount, the mount line I shot, and and uh, the bear. She doesn't want it. And I've shot a you know a couple big uh, hogs in Oklahoma with you know real two three inch yeah. powders and this that and the other. And she don't allow them into the house and. You know, now she don't want the lion, full body mount lion, or the bears in there. So, oh my god! Sounds like you need like a man cave shop trophy room is what you need. That's where we're at now. All she lets me have in there is them turkeys back there and a couple deer on the wall. I asked her if we (laughs) have you seen our bed, and she wasn't having it. (laughs) Have you seen? uh, Have you seen Alan Boland's trophy shop? His man cave Uh trophy shop. Oh gosh, dude, it'd make you stinking sick. It's really cool. I mean, but it's a it's a massive shop um outside of his house and you know, really cool flooring and cabinetry and but then he's just got walls of doll sheep and elk and mule deer and he's got a shooting range in there and he's got a I mean it is crazy cool. But uh I've seen he kind of did it's it's kind of relatively new. And so he did the full like build process. Um the build out of it and how he was doing it. And uh, so I followed along with it and it's really, it's a really cool setup. That's what you need. Yeah. You need a place where mama can't tell you what to do. Uh, I don't know if such a place exists. She Is she there? She can't hear me. Can she? No, she's upstairs in her office working. No, you, you started it, talking a little bit quieter. I got <laughs> You started talking a little bit quieter. He said, she nah, dude, she's upstairs. Either. She can't hear you. <laughs> my daughter's in, you know, in her office though. You know, I, I like your wife just enough to where I don't want to make her mad. You know, I I don't I don't want to burn no bridges, so I, I better I keep my mouth shut. Here. I got earbuds, she can't <laughs> hear nothing you're saying. All she hears is me. And you know she's gonna be like You ain't demon, you ain't demon. She ain't gonna blame you, she'll blame me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love you, Miss Mesh. No, it wasn't me, it was him. Uh that there's been a couple times like, though. Boy. There's been a couple times where I have <laughs> there's been a couple times where I've said something about my wife and uh the guest, whoever it might be, would be like, dude, you can't say that about her. I'm like, dude, she's never gonna listen to this. Like I can't even I can't get my wife to listen to my podcast. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And uh yeah. well then sure enough, we're and of course she never listened, but then I, I had a buddy um in passing, we weren't even right, like yeah. talking about it. We're like like see him at Walmart and he's like, Oh hey dude, man, heard about how bad your wife snores on the podcast. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh, and she said, What? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it was. It was uh we were on a podcast and Chuck Adams was talking about how he he can't sleep in tents uh with other people. You know, he's gotta be in his own place, not because of any other reason other than he doesn't sleep well. And so it's like if they happen to snore or you know, move around or whatever then I don't get any sleep. And, uh, and so I just mentioned that my wife snores like a freight train and I just have to get used to it. So then when I'm with other guys, it doesn't. And yeah, my, my buddy ratted me out though. Man, is it still your buddy? Well, it's on, it's a little dicey at times, but yeah. Yeah. I might have had to unfriend him. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a good time. So what's uh what's your what what would be your number one? 
that dream hunt that you want to go on more than anything? I would say a moose or a uh, Kodiak brown bear. I was I was always you know growing up. I was like, oh, I want to shoot a grizzly bear. I want to shoot just because of the name grizzly bear. And then uh, Frank Nasca, of all people, I was talking to him, and he's like, oh, that's cool. But he goes, why don't you want to shoot a brown? I'm like, oh, I want to shoot the you know the biggest and the baddest. He goes, oh no. He said brown bear. It makes oh, it way bigger than a grizzly. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, a couple and hundred pounds was, bigger. Yeah, grown grown man. I didn't know that. I just was you know going oh grizzly bear that's the you know i don't know if it's just the name or whatever but i was under the impression that he was the king of the forest and frank's like no nah, man you want to you want to shoot a brown so i would say either a moose or a, a brown a big brown so bow. for those of you who don't know and don't like don't send me a bunch of emails saying i'm wrong because i don't know the exact but a brown bear and a grizzly bear are the exact same bear there's just a dividing line as to where they live Brown bears live closer to the coast, so they've got more meat to eat on. So they get a whole lot bigger because they're sucking down all these fish all the time. Whereas then you get to the line, they become grizzlies, and they tend to get smaller because, well, they're further from the coast. Um, so absolutely, dude, my my 100% dream hunt would be a coastal brown bear. 100%. Just because <clears throat> I've gotten to the point where I've seen so many videos of these guys shooting giant bears on the beach, like literally (laughs) ocean and they shoot. And, uh, you know, Jim Willems, he shot a tanker of a bear, um, easily Boone and Crockett, uh, probably would have received some awards. And what happened was they found this dead whale and he's like, I just couldn't find any bears. And finally I stumbled upon a dead whale on the beach and I just thought, well, now I know where all the bears are. And so he's like, we camped out on that, on that dead whale and this giant comes in and he shoots it, but it immediately turns and circles and comes right back at him with the guide. And so the guide has to shoot him with a rifle. Uh, so it, it still made Boone and Crockett, um, but he couldn't put it in Pope and Young because the guy had to finish it with a rifle. So, um, but you see videos like that, man, you're just like, God, dude, I want to do it so bad. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen some cool videos. I see some neat videos. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Michael Hunsucker, uh, the Heartland bow hunter. Oh, guy, yeah. He had, yeah. He had a pretty cool video out there. It's on YouTube of, of him shooting one. I mean, it was eight yards from him. I mean, I don't know how he kept it That's together. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, it was a, a neat yeah. video. And then they got another one. I don't know. It was either Tiffany Lukowski or, uh, oh, one of them shows one of the gals shot a real big bear on the beach. I was like, holy cow, good for you, girl. Yeah, that'd be awesome, dude. I'm a big fan of that show alone. Yeah. And uh, I've had a couple of the couple of the winners on on the show just to talk with them. And um, Clay Hayes had an encounter with a bear on the beach. And, man, you just hear those stories, and it's like, that that is what I want to do. Um, if I could pick any animal right now, you say money's no issue. It'd be coastal brown bear. Um, just, I know they don't have incredible massive antlers like an elk or a moose, but man, just the the sheer size and just the way they act. And, 
the location. It's just everything's right. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look like, you know, talking about Chuck Adams. And you look at that, you know, I hate to age him, but, you know, he, he is the reason that, you know, big reason that me and my brother started bow hunting. Uh, my brother, Mike, who got me into bow hunting, it was actually the guy who took me on my first bow hunt. He had the picture of Chuck Adams and his bear. He's had it and hanging on his wall of his garage in his hunting room for 50 years. I mean, you know, since we were kids, that's cool. Had that thing up there, so it was, yeah. it was pretty neat when I met Chuck at the at the convention, you know, last month or whatever it was. That uh, he had, he was selling posters, that exact same uh, poster that my brothers had in his house. So uh, we was able to get one and have him autograph it to my brother. But you know, just to see that there, I mean, if you look, you know, Chuck's not a little guy, you know, but yeah, just that picture and that bear. You, that bear is a monster. I mean, his paws, I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you see the guys hold the paws up in front of them and it's bigger than their stinking chest. And you're like, man, alive, dude. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely something I want to do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so what What do you yeah, got left for, other than the, other than your color phase bear hunt, what do you got left for this year? That's it. Just deer hunting here for the most part. And then uh, next year I'm going to do a, uh, a, a float plane fishing trip, which doesn't have nothing to do with That's uh, cool. hunting, but I've never been on a, on a float plane. And me and mom are going to go out up in Canada and be out on a 31-mile lake uh, all by ourselves for 10 days. And we're probably uh, going to be, like, I don't know, 41 miles or 40 miles to the nearest town or whatnot. So that should be pretty relaxing. And then, uh, then 20 days in Africa starting in August next year. And I will mix in. Now uh, has your wife always been this, like want to go on hunts with you and do these crazy cool adventures or did that just develop over the course of the marriage? Yeah, it's, uh, she, it's whatever. I mean, I don't know what, Temperatures outside, you're pretty close to me, you know, a couple hours away. So I'm assuming it's like 85 ish. Yeah. She's probably, she's probably upstairs in a robe and a blanket. I mean, she, she hates the cold <laughs> and she is cold constantly. So yeah, it's, she's been with me a couple times, you know, like around here, uh, you know, early season deer hunt or turkey hunt. She'll go out with me and sit in the blind. But yeah, for them, she likes to fish. But uh, yeah, she just, like I told her, I said, hey, I'm going to take you on an Alaskan cruise for our anniversary. She was like, nope, I'm not going on an Alaskan cruise. <laughs> so she goes, you're going to take me on a cruise. We better go somewhere where there's a beach. We're going so, We're going to Cosmel. You're like, baby, there's beaches yeah. in Alaska. There's bears on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I told her. So needless to say, we did not go on a cruise that year. <laughs> now, that's another thing I want to do. Talking about beaches and shooting animals. I want to go to Hawaii, and I want to go up in the hills, and I want to shoot an axis, but then I want to come off, yeah. and I want to hunt pigs on the beach. Oh, yeah. Yep. I know a, a buddy of mine uh, is actually from Hawaii. A guy I was in the Marine Corps with, and his sister is a big hunter, and he's always sending me, she lives in Hawaii, and she, he's always sending me pictures of her shooting hogs and all kind of stuff over there in Hawaii. I'm like, man, tell him to let That's me cool. come on. 
I mean, that's, that's like one of the hunts. That's one of the hunts that you can fully get a wife on board with. Of baby, I'm going hunting in Hawaii, but I'm taking oh, yeah. you. You can sit on the beach. I'm going to go hunting. Yep. So that's one you can definitely that. get her on board with. Yeah, I mean, Laura's excited to go to Africa. You know, just to, you know, see the culture. She likes to to travel and and you know, see explore new places. Uh, but I don't know how much time she's gonna. You know, over there they don't call them blinds; they call them hides. You know, you go sit and hide. Uh, I don't actually know how much time she's gonna sit and hide with me, or. Uh, but like I said, I got a couple of buddies that are going, and uh, they're on a gun hunt. So, on those hunts, you're getting like a high rack, and you just drive around the, you know, Africa. The I don't even know what you call it, the prairie or the plains or whatever. The plains. The bush, and yeah, when you see a, you know, a, a Cape buffalo, whatever the guy wants to shoot. You just stop the truck and you're in the high rack and him and the guy spot up on it, shoot it with the gun. So I'm sure we'll go tag along on a couple of them. But I think she's looking more for the spa days and, and going to Victoria Falls and all that kind of stuff. Now, what's your number one Africa hit list? What What do you want to come home the most with from Africa? Hey, what I want to shoot the most is a baboon. And a really? Warthog. Them two are my top. No, I don't know why. I just, I don't it's know kinda, why. Maybe because you look a little I'm bit going, like one. That's what everybody says. They're like, man, that's sort of like, <laughs> you know, like, like being a relative. It's a little bit close to home, ain't it? <laughs> but no, but I, what I'm looking forward to the most, what I'm uh, uh, bringing home, uh, everybody that I've talked to said, if you shoot a blue wildebeest, that would be, they say that's the best looking rug you can have. Uh, the guy I'm going with, so actually really? two of them. And he, yeah, he said, Jim, I've had one of them in my house. And he said, it's in, I don't know if he can't remember, like a, it's a highly trafficked, like his living room or dining room. And he said, he's had that thing in his house for like 20 years. And he said, it still looks like the day shot. He said, it's the most durable, toughest hide. Oh, he's yeah, he, for sure. He goes, you have to. He goes, like, bear or something like that or zebra. He goes, pretty soon they start you know, looking more down. He goes, with this blue wildebeest, he goes, if you're wanting to bring a, a rug home, you know, he goes, I would suggest the blue wildebeest for the, you know, most bang for your buck, so to speak, for it to last. Yeah, for sure. So That would be That's cool. what I'm most looking I, um... Yeah, and they're cool looking. Gray you know, I could get down on that. Right on I've always wanted a bear rug, but man, I've got young kids, so I'm like, dude, there'll be fingernail polish on that rug and uh, Cheetos yep. smeared into. Like, there's no telling. Yeah, yeah. son, trying to stick his head into its mouth and stuff, and then you get in trouble yeah. for it. No kidding, dude. That's what would happen. Um, yeah. but no, I uh, that does make sense because. Like, if you go to Dallas Safari Club, you know, they've got all of those um, exotic shops where you can buy belts and wallets, and and uh, they they all tell you Blue Wildebeest is, like, the toughest, if you want a purse or a whatever, it's the toughest. Yep. It'll never wear out. It'll, it'll last you 120 years of daily abuse. Yep. And so that does make a lot of sense that, that a rug would be perfect out of that. Yeah, that's that's the hide that I'm most forward to looking to bring it back. But yeah, like the baboon, the warthog, 
I probably just want to do a like a European mount on those and bring them back and and uh I think you should do a yeah. full mount on the baboon. Yeah, it's a no go. I've already my wife already told me. She's like, no, she was lucky I'm letting you shoot one. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, uh you should do it with a, a blowgun, man. Go go the slockmaster route and do a blowgun on the baboon. Nope. Dude, I'm old. You seen me walk. <laughs> I'm lucky to get I'm lucky to make it to the plane to fly to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Back in my younger days, that's maybe. funny, man. Not now. Yeah, that mountain lion um, almost killed me. You know, that's what you were telling me, and you know, I think a lot of guys automatically assume what's with dogs. Like all you do is let the dogs run them down, then you go shoot them. But dude, those hunts, and you're not the only person that's ever said that. It's the hardest hunt, like that that a guy can do. It was, and I'm, you know, 57 years old, and I'm in decent shape for an older guy. Uh, at the time, I had put on a little bit of weight, but I still, you know, pretty active, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, heart's in good condition. My mind's good, blah, blah, blah. But uh, we track these things. You're talking, you get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you go out and get on the side-by-side, and you drive that side-by-side uh all day long trying to cut track, you know, find a five inch, uh, ball in, in, uh, you know, the Rocky mountains, you're looking for a five inch paw print. So just doing that is, so the first day we went, it was a dry land hunt. I mean, there's no snow, no nothing. So, uh, obviously we didn't know luck. We seen a bunch of, uh, we actually seen a moose and, and a lot of elk and, and uh, uh, mule deer and stuff like that. Uh, and then woke up overnight. We went back out two o'clock the next morning, and the snow was up to my kneecaps. You know, I'm a six foot three guy. Yeah. So, and uh, so we drove around for another day and a half, and we got on that lion. And when it we chased that thing, Dylan, over three mountain ranges. And them dogs, I couldn't believe them dogs. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the GPS, uh, the guy that I went with, his name was Dylan also. And he has a, he has a little tracker, you know, he carries it with him. And then uh, he puts the tracker on the dog's collar and, uh, he can, it shows you every dog and it'll actually shows the dog standing up on the tree when the lion trees, the dogs will be all around the tree. Yeah. You'd see him on the hind legs on this tracker up on this tree. That's how you know the thing's treed. So, you know, we chased this thing for, we, we got on it at, I think, 10 o'clock in the morning. We finally treated it at 4 30 in the afternoon. So, them dogs were on, I think, six and a half Good hours. Good Lord. Yeah. And so, when we treated it, when we first got on it, he goes, Oh, this is going to be great. Well, we got on this first mountain, was real flat, was on the top, and it was real flat. He goes, Oh, yeah, this thing's going to run up on these little trees. He goes, You're going to walk up there, you're going to be you know, 15 feet from this thing. And it's, you know, he said, just shoot in, you're going to lose your arrow because, but he was, yeah. And that thing started running. He goes, holy cow. So after like second mountain range, he's like, this is what we call a runner. He goes, I don't know what this thing's doing. He said, but it's going. And then dogs, I mean, they, it was unreal. We had to loop around, come down off the mountain, go back up and around and blah, blah, blah. Like I said, you know, for six and a half hours. So finally it showed tree. 
So we went up to the top of this mountain. And when we got up, he goes, hey, man, he goes, uh, he goes, I'm telling you now, he goes, there's locals that don't go down in this, down this mountain because it's so bad. I'm like, no, man. I said, this is, you know, and he knew the story about, you know, the last thing, you know, John, about the bucket list, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, we're going. Yeah. I, says, I said, I might not make it out. I said, we're going to go down there and shoot him. So long story short, we go down and shoot this thing. And by the time we shoot him, it's getting dark. So he's like, hey, and I mean, just going down the mountain. When I got to this lion in the tree, I was almost so tired. I couldn't even, I don't want to say enjoy it, but I was just like trying to, the first thing I did when I see the lion, I just remember trying to catch my breath. And I mean, it was just walking down the mountain. It was so, snow was so deep and I was just covered in sweat. It was like, you know, 16 degrees and I had my hat off, my gloves off. I was just sweating. And then when I drew my bow back, my glasses were fogged up, so I had to let down. And he goes, oh, here, let me wipe your... I told him, I saw my glasses. So he wiped my glasses off with his gloves, and his gloves had mud on them. So then my, so I ended up having to take my glasses off altogether, and I'm lying as a bat. So I, actually, in the video, when I draw back and put my pen on it, you can hear me go, man, I can't see nothing. As soon as I say nothing, I let it go and just hit him right in the... He was looking at me, hit him right in the chest, you know? So, but then, wow. you know... He, he falls out of the tree, you know, a couple minutes later, he falls out of the tree, and we go down and skin him out, and uh, Dylan's like, hey, uh, would you rather go down the mountain or back up the mountain? I said, it's up to you. He goes, well, you know, going down the mountain, it's, you're not going to have to climb. I said, okay. So we start going down the mountain, and all the, he hadn't been up there since the spring, and all the roads had washed out. So it was just nothing, but I mean, there was times that we just oh, sit on our no. butts, and you just lift your feet, and I'd hold my bow in the air over my head, and you just slide down these ravines, you know, two, three hundred feet to the bottom. You have to crawl up on your hands and knees out of the other side. I mean, it was so it got to long story short, we got uh we was out there and in, in, in night it got uh negative sixteen degrees and we were out there for thirty nine hours uh before we made it out. Are you serious? Yeah, we stayed on that bounce for thirty nine hours. We like at night, one of oh us would. Oh my uh, gosh! We, we built fires. We had stuff to build a fire, uh, but uh, so we built fires. And one guy, there was three of us: me and and a, a buddy that worked with my brother John. He's a fireman and he's a marine. So he came along and videoed it. And then Dylan and one of us would stay awake and and you know stoke the fire, keep the fire going at night. And then, uh, but what we the big mistake we made didn't bring a jet boil so we didn't want to eat the snow because you know you eat the snow then it gets your core temperature even worse so we couldn't didn't have yeah. anything to melt the snow with we had, we had water bottles in our backpacks but they were all frozen i mean it was negative 16 so basically we went a whole day without drinking anything too so we started i started getting real bad cramps and ended up with hypothermia and frostbite i thought i was going to lose four toes and, uh, you know, Goodness. people like, was it worth it? I'm like, yeah. And I was like, absolutely, it was worth it. I said, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. You know, I never thought, you know, I wasn't ever to the point where I thought, oh, man, I'm going to die on this mountain. But I was to the point where I'm like, man, I'll be glad we get off this thing. This is <laughs> miserable walking out of here. So it was so, never a thought in your mind. Like, you know, that never crossed your mind of like, dude, we're not going to get out of here. No, not really. I mean. Like I said, we had a, we had fire, 
you know, and I, I mean, I thought that might be the only thing that, that would kill us would be freeze to death, you know, but I wasn't, you know, like, and then, then not having water, you know, like I said, there was one point I started cramping and I sort of like, we were just standing there talking and I started cramping so bad I just fell over. And then they're looking they're like, what the heck? I'm like, dude, my whole body is a cramp. I can't even control my muscles right now. So I had to sit there and then I'd stood up and they're like, holy cow. You know, and then after the fact, you know, uh, Badami, he's like, yeah, man, he got at one point where he was talking and you just was not making any sense because you just were talking gibberish. And I said, really? Yeah, so, dude, that's scary, I man. Mean, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I, did, I mean, I don't recall ever being, oh man, I'm going to die out here. But did you guys, said, did you guys eat any of the lion on the mountain? Oh, no, no. We, we ended up giving it some to the dog. We didn't have to pack it out, but no, we, we had like some crackers and some granola bars and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, we, the big thing I said was not having any water. And so that's, that would be my advice. Why didn't you eat it? Sure why didn't you eat any of the lion? I never was hungry. I was too cold to be, I mean, I wasn't hungry at all. I just, I mean, that yeah. hunger never even came into it, you know, but, uh, Jiminy Christmas. Yeah, just being thirsty, and you didn't know. Uh, and once we got down by the trucks, they uh, we had a uh, he had a Garmin GPS deal that he could send text to his wife, and you could like send an SOS signal. And uh, so they called the uh, sheriffs, you know, just say, "Hey, we got some guys that are you know coming down off the mountain, but we don't know." And they ended up being when when we got back down the trucks, they were there, and they gave me some water, and I was like, "Oh." Thank you so much. I, you know, I didn't realize how thirsty I was until they gave me that water. You know, they put some dude. Of, yeah, they had these packets. They're like you're shivering. I'm like, I'm not cold at all. They're like, man, you're just. You know, they said I was just shaking. They're like, yeah, you got hypothermia. So they gave me these little packets of stuff. Came in a silver deal, and I and I had to take it. It was like charcoal and honey mixture or something like that. It's supposed to, you know, boost your energy real, uh, you know, a whole bunch. So, yeah, it was quite the experience. Jiminy Christmas. Dude, yep. I'll tell you what, you better do a full mount on that lion. That, that, oh, yeah. that mountain lion deserves a full mount, and it deserves to go above oh, your yeah. bed. Now I'm fighting with you on that one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he, uh, that's what I told him. dude, that's crazy. Yeah, I told him you know, a couple times, I said, you wow. know how bad my brother John's laughing at us right now? <laughs> Yeah. Wow, man. That's incredible. That is crazy, dude. Well, Jim, man, I appreciate you greatly coming on. Guys, I would highly encourage you to check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship, johnvmesh.org. I would highly encourage you to donate. I would highly encourage you to join us in Lenexa, Kansas on September 23rd. It's going to be a banger of an event. We're going to have a good time. I'll be there. We're going to shoot. We're going to have fun. We're going to sell some stuff. We're going to give away some prizes. There'll be some bare bows there. We're going to have a good time. Uh, so join us. Put together a team. Even if you've got to travel a few hours, it will be worth it. So join us in Lenexa, Kansas on September 23rd. Go check out johnvmesh.org. Highly consider donating because this is a nonprofit that you should be supporting. Guys, I'm an arrow junkie. I love arrows. And I have found a fondness for deer crossing archery. Everybody makes a good arrow. I'm not saying that anybody out there makes a bad arrow. 
But what really sets deer crossing archery apart is when I call them, I'm going to get, A, the owner on the phone. I'm going to get the guy that's building my arrows on the phone. And they're going to walk me through a complete custom build. They're not shipping me a box of arrows that they ship out to everybody. I'm going to pick my knot colors, my fletching colors, my wrap colors, the fletching configuration I want on the arrows. Not only that, I'm going to walk him through my setup. I'm going to walk him through what I'm looking to get out of the setup. I'm going to tell him total arrow length I want to be hitting, total arrow weight I want to be hitting, total uh, insert, outsert weight I want to be hitting, FOC. And he's going to custom build a set of arrows and send them to me. My arrows aren't going to be best for you. Your arrows aren't going to be best for me. We need custom arrows. Deer Crossing Archery builds those arrows custom for you, and they always perform. Their silencer shaft is my favorite arrow on planet Earth. I've shot 40-plus animals with that arrow. It always performs. It always blows through the animal. I always get great penetration. It's a micro-diameter shaft. They do have a full line of shafts. Uh, the new Rupture arrow is a phenomenal arrow. I shot a deer with it this year in Missouri. I love their arrows. Guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Deer Crossing Archery because you don't have to go to a box store and buy a set of arrows that are just made from the factory. You can get arrows custom made for you that are going to work best for you and your setup. Guys, use code HUNTING101 to get a discount at Deer Crossing Archery. I would highly encourage you to check them out. They are phenomenal. Jim, thank you so much for coming on, man. I couldn't appreciate you more. Thanks, bro. I appreciate you having me on, Dylan. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing, man, because like I said, I believe you're doing it in a way that your brother would be proud. I believe you're making a difference. And, uh, man, I just can't wait to watch. I can't wait to watch the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship become the premier outdoor conservation scholarship because it, it absolutely is. So, um, man, kudos to you guys. Keep up the good work. Keep carrying on. Keep continuing the legacy. Thanks, buddy. Couldn't do it with uh, helping guys like you, man. We got so many outstanding people that, that are helping us keeping this thing going and getting bigger and better guys thank you for listening y'all have a fantastic week <laughs>